Thanks so much for joining us for the New Life Rabina podcast. New Life Church is one family, many churches, and we exist simply seeing more people more like Jesus by planning and leading thriving local churches. You've joined us for Dinner with Jesus, a series exploring transformative mealtime encounters found in the Gospels. Together, we will discover the depths of these moments, revealing Jesus' mission of redemption through love and grace. We pray this message is a blessing. If we haven't met yet, my name is Anna. I'm one of the pastors here. And one of the areas that I get to lead is our young adults community. And I don't know if you are uh, in a similar kind of profession where if you are a teacher, maybe you're a nurse or a doctor, and you know what it's like to see your students or your patients, and in my case, my community, out in the wild. You know, you're at dinner, and uh, I've had this recently and many times where I'll be at dinner and I'll be enjoying conversation with my friends, and I'll look kind of over and there'll be a whole table group of our young adults community, and I'll go over and say hi and kind of see who's who's uh, catching up with who and all of that. And it's a nice time to kind of mix in with our young adults community out there in the big wide world. But it's quite funny when I see two of our young adults uh, out alone together. And I wonder, hmm, what's going on here? And there's the, that's the kind of conversation in the dinner table that I definitely don't walk over to and uh, make them feel nervous or embarrassed or anything like that. But I do wonder, like, that's interesting. Is it a first date, a second date? Like, what's going on? And keep an eye on that. And I know that some people, when you go out to dinner, you sit at the restaurant and you look around and you see other tables. And I've heard of people playing this game where you'll look around and you'll kind of try and suss out who's on a first date and you can tell by their body language and if it's a bit awkward or if they're really into each other. Um, But having dinner with people, uh, it's a great time to hang out with them, to bond with them, to celebrate something, to kind of have deep conversations. And I think a lot of beautiful things happen around dinner tables. You might be out at a cafe or it might be in your home. You might have dinner with your family every night. Uh, But there's a real sense of intimacy and uh, celebration and beauty that happens at tables. And we are about to uh, today start and open up our new series where we actually get to have dinner with Jesus. And we're going to look at five different encounters where Jesus has dinner with people and we get to be a bit of a fly on the wall. We get to sit ourselves at the table and wonder what is it that Jesus is saying What is he saying with his words, but what is he saying with his body language, with his positioning, with who he associates with, who he welcomes in, who he elevates? And our hope over these next five weeks is that we experience proximity to Jesus, that we have a little insight into his character, into his personhood, into his ministry. And I believe that hospitality is one of the key measures that Jesus uh, took in order to to roll out his mission when he was here. And it comes up again and again and again, and we've only chosen five, uh, but there's plenty of them. And so I hope as we are intrigued by the life of Jesus, that we uh, begin to adore him more. 
And so today we find ourselves in Mark chapter 2. We're going to look at a small little account where Jesus uh, is inviting someone in to follow Him and then they uh, set a scene around a dinner table. So if you've got your Bibles with you, I'd love for you to open up with me to Mark chapter 2. We're going to read from verse 14 through to verse 17. So... Mark writes this, as he, talking about Jesus, walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who needs a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So there are a few things in this passage that I'd love to highlight today, a few things that we can notice and observe and learn from. The first is that I hope that we gaze at Jesus. This whole series, I hope that we bring proximity where we we really look deeply at Him, His motivations, His, uh, His responses, His invitations. I hope that we gaze at Him and that we adore Him. I also hope that we, like Him, are graze with people, that we follow His example. And as He did so much significant ministry work around dinner tables, um, I hope that we also follow His example and graze with others to do life with people. We expand our tables. And lastly, I hope that we experience His grace that He lavishes upon people. And I hope that it's not only something that we receive, but I hope that it is something that overflows out of our lives and also onto others. So it's a little bit of where we're heading today uh, as we just sit in these few verses. So so what what do we see when we gaze at Jesus, when we zoom in to who He is? So we're in chapter two of Mark. So not much has happened, chapter one and half of chapter two. And what we see is that he is really launching his public ministry. Uh, I love the Gospel of Mark. He just like moves straight through things. So even though we're only in chapter two, there's quite a little bit that's happened. And we see that he uh, has done some really big miracles. He's kind of started with a bang. And as you can imagine, word gets out. And Jesus is doing uh, incredible work uh, in the land and he's, he's established quite a following. And not only has he established a reputation and a following, but he's also appointed and asked certain people to become his disciples. See, as a rabbi, he invited those people in to follow him, to walk with him, to watch how he did things and to learn from him. And it was a really esteemed position See, not anyone could just be a disciple of a rabbi. And so we see Jesus appointing Peter and Andrew and then James and John. And we see phenomenal miracles happen. He uh, heals people. He casts out demons. He uh, is able to set people free from things. And again, this is This is quite groundbreaking stuff. And I believe that if Jesus was in our midst, we too would be quite mesmerised by His ministry. We would be quite filled with awe and wonder and intrigue and curiosity to think, 
who is this guy? How does he do such things? How does he have such power? How does he have such uh, spiritual intuition? And so right before these verses in uh, 14 to 17, we have that story where he's speaking in a house and the house is so jam-packed that no one else can get in. But there is this man who is paralysed who needs healing and he has so much faith. His, his friends actually lower him down from the ceiling and obviously that gets everyone's attention, including Jesus. And Jesus sees him and then he heals him. And in front of everyone, he then uh, says to this man, okay, pick up your mat and walk out of here. And he does. Can you imagine seeing that firsthand? Incredible. And we sometimes think that maybe their minds weren't that blown. I think their minds were blown, just like ours would be if that was to happen right here. And so Jesus is busy. He's doing his public ministry. Uh, he's, he's getting to work, he's healing people and he's got this following. And so what he does then right before is he decides to go for a walk by the, by the seashore. And I don't know if uh, you resonate with that, but when I think about Jesus' ministry and being exhausted or maybe feeling uh, like there's things to process, he decides to take a beach walk. And I love taking a beach walk. It kind of calms you down and and you just let the water kind of be peaceful to you. And so Jesus is on his beach walk. And uh, what we read in verse 14 is it says, As he was passing by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. So as we gaze at Jesus, what do we notice? We notice that in in his passing by or as he's walking along, He sees people. And I think as we gaze at Jesus, we notice that He is not preoccupied. He is not too busy. He has not got tunnel vision for what He is doing and following His plan. But He is someone who notices the people around Him. And I think as we gaze at Jesus, we want to think how how also can we be like that? How can we not be too preoccupied, too busy, too distracted, to task focused and miss seeing people around us. It's a big challenge, but what we notice as we see Jesus and we gaze upon him is he is someone who sees us. He sees, and he he not only sees the religious elite, who does he see? A tax collector. He looks up and sees someone in a tax collector's booth. I don't know what you envision when you see a tax collector's booth that must be close enough to the seashore to be able to see it, but that's a great office. That's got some water views. And so I believe that even in his going, in his walking, in his his debriefing, in his time with the Lord, in whatever was on his mind, he was disruptible enough to see people. So if you're sitting here today, this morning, and you think that no one has noticed me, no one has seen me, know that our Heavenly Father sees you. He's not too busy. He doesn't have too much on His mind. He sees you. Not only does Jesus see, but then He invites. Verse 14, He says, follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. Here we see that like Jesus is doing a little bit of his draft pick of disciples. 
he is noticing, okay, who, who do I want to be my dream team in order to carry out the mission of the world? No greater cause, no greater authority than to then be one of Jesus, the son of God's disciples. And is it not perplexing then at who he picks? Why does he pick Levi, a tax collector? Why does he think, okay, out of my 12, which is not very many, by the way, out of my 12, that would be a prime position for Levi, the tax collector. You know, tax collectors we know were not the the best, most esteemed people in society. They weren't the people who you thought, oh, when I grow up, I want to be just like that guy. These are people who were kind of like on enemy turf. They were the people who stole. They were the people who you, you couldn't trust. And Jesus says, hey, you, that guy with the questionable morals, that guy who's chosen a, a very greedy profession, hey, I want you to be my disciple. Jesus invites the most unlikely people into his proximity. And I think what this shows us about Jesus as we gaze at him is that he doesn't have a type. He doesn't just choose the religious elite. He doesn't choose the good Christian. He doesn't choose the one who just has it all together. And a theme that we see all through scripture, right, is that man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And I think here, I wonder what was going on in Levi's heart. Did he long for more? Was he unhappy with his life? Was he looking for a grander vision, a better purpose? I believe Jesus must have seen something in him that was willing and longing for something more. And I believe it's a human condition to long for something more. And Jesus invites him in. As we gaze at Jesus, He not only sees people, but He invites people. And so do not discredit yourself from being on Jesus' team. Don't discredit yourself in thinking that I'm not the right one. What we see here in this, in this small little part of Scripture, which actually happens again and again and again in who Jesus is intentional with, He invites you into proximity with Him. You do not need to be a certain type. He longs for your heart to be found in Him. And so now we find ourselves at Levi's place for dinner. How did that happen? We're one verse in. We're at verse 15. It says, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house. Well, wait a minute. That was rather quick. He's on the shore. He sees Levi. He says, follow me. And bam, they're at dinner. And so he's saying to him, I want to do life with you. This idea of discipleship and this idea of inviting you in to be one of my disciples is not just a classroom setting. It's not just sitting here on a Sunday. It's not just being in a specific place. He's saying, hey, I want you to do life with me. I love how in the Amplified Version it expands and it says, and He said to him, follow me as my disciple, accepting me as your master and teacher and walking in the same path of life that I walk. Doing life with Jesus is not just here on a Sunday. Doing life with Jesus is all of life. And that's why seeing Jesus at the dinner table doing normal everyday life is such an important thing that we, couldn't, that we shouldn't miss. He's having dinner. And so who, who's at this dinner party? So we, we see him sitting at this table. Some versions say he's reclining at the table. And you wonder about who else is sitting there. 
We, we read that there's many tax collectors, many tax collectors and sinners. And then there's also some Pharisees and his disciples. So this is a small table, but picture a very large table. And that's a lot of people. Remember, Jesus has a following. But have you ever thrown a party? Maybe it was your wedding or maybe a 50th or something where you've invited all your different friendship groups together and you just wonder how it's gonna go? You've got your church friends and your work friends and your family friends and your family and you all kind of just put them in a room and you just hope for the best. You know, you hope your work friends don't really talk to your church friends all awkward. You hope your family just stays at their own table. And then you hope your family friends who have like enough of of your heart and and that social clout to be able to mix amongst everyone. So there's a whole mishmash of people that we have at the table with Jesus. Many tax collectors. And what I love is that when Jesus invites Levi, He doesn't take Levi out of his context and say, hey, now you're with me. Now you roll with me. You've got a whole new thing going on. What do we see? Jesus goes to him and He goes and sits with His friends, His tax collectors, His sinners. And what I love is that the inclusive nature of Jesus is that He's okay with that. And so he's around the table with a whole bunch of different people. I love how the message puts it. Eugene, he writes a paraphrase where he says, what kind of example is this? Jesus eats with riffraff. And I think that's such a good question, isn't it? What kind of example is this? What kind of example is this table where Jesus is comfortable and okay with the the spectrum of life sitting there, where he has the elite Pharisees, he's got his disciples, he's got the tax collectors and sinners. Also sinners, is that just like everybody else? Or is that like distinct, you're a sinner? Like, how does that work? Anyway, so Jesus has done uh, this, this beautiful piece of hospitality and is bringing everyone together. And I've, uh, I'm fascinated by hospitality. It's something that I'm always intrigued by. One day I'll probably work in hospitality. I just love it. And I was reading this book called Setting the Table and it's by Danny Myers. He is uh, a restaurateur over in New York City and he has so many successful, beautiful restaurants. And he writes this book trying to like write a blueprint for hospitality. And I don't know about you, but when I think about hospitality staff, sometimes I think it's like, it's very transient, turns over quickly. It's people who are on holidays. It's people who wanna get like a quick job or to get some work experience. But the way that Danny writes about hospitality is something else. He talks about some of he talks about HQ, which is hospitality quotient, intelligence. And one of the things that he mentions is about one of his key top waitresses. And he says, I had this great waitress and I, I wanted to learn what why she was so good at what she did. And so he was talking to her and said, you know, why is it that you're so good at this? And she said, well, I was trained before this with a cosmetic company called Mary Kay over in the States. And one of the things that they taught all of their sales consultants was to recognise that each person normally has a big sign around their neck that, that reads, make me feel important. And I think that's such a cry of the human heart to feel seen 
to feel noticed, to feel cared for. And she says that, you know, as soon as you recognise and treat each person with that big sign, make me feel important, once you do that, it really ignites this sense of hospitality. It ignites this sense of someone sees me and they care. And I think Jesus does that so well. I think each of those people at the table, just by being in his presence, he made them feel important because he saw them. He, he elevated their social status by proximity with him. He was not too proud to say, oh no, I'm not, I'm not gonna be eating with you. And the response of it is so interesting because it, it, it causes a bit of curiosity. John Tyson, he spoke here last week beautifully. He's an Australian pastor that has planted churches over in New York City. He, he writes a book called The Beautiful Resistance and um, he talks about hospitality. And one of the quotes that I love from this book, he says, hospitality is the rescuing love and welcome of God on display. Jesus's posture was one of inclusion and embrace. He created a portal of heaven's welcome for those who had been pushed out and shunned. A portal of heaven's welcome. Isn't that such a, a beautiful description of how we see hospitality and what Jesus does? He gave, he literally gave people a seat at the table and he said, you are welcome here. One of my family friends a couple of years ago, they were convicted around some of this stuff. They noticed that their neighbours uh, were people that they didn't really mix with that much. It was like a little wave in the driveway or in the street and that was it. And so one of the activities that they had as a couple is that maybe on a Friday night or so, I can't remember what day of the week, they would normally do happy hour together where they'd pour a glass of wine and sit on the deck and talk and debrief the weeks and uh, just catch up. And they had this stirring conviction to say, what happens if we invite others into that space? And so they took out their camp chairs and sat them in the front of their driveway and put a little table out with some nibbles. And they poured their wines and sat down and and they, they extended welcome to the rest of their street. And what they saw with time is that neighbours would come and bring their camp chairs and bring their wine and sit with them for happy hour. And this small little notion of hospitality started to breed this sense of relationship. There was a a, a welcome and things that were probably trivial or nice and light on the surface then became deeper and deeper as time went on and as relationships were formed. And now neighbours were no longer people that they just waved at, but they actually knew about what was going on in their life. And that proximity, that idea of grazing with others, whatever it looks like, that proximity is I think where the Spirit of God really starts to breed. Like there's this sense of work where now it's like, oh, I know something's going on in your life. Let me pray with you. Or there's a chance to say, yeah, my faith actually really got me through that. I went through something similar, but I really had to rely on my faith. Those conversations now have a space. And I believe that hospitality is one of the beautiful vehicles of that proximity. It's a great example. Jesus grazed in the in the Gospels with so many people. I wonder how much of our ministry we are doing around tables, in your home, in your apartment block, in your cafes, in a park. How much of this are we doing and following Jesus' example? 
And we go on to uh, verse 16. It says, When the teachers of the law, who were the Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? We don't know if this was a, uh, a stirring kind of question. We don't know if this was something, way that they were baiting Jesus. But I actually think it was probably just curiosity. We don't see any of the other rabbis doing this. Why is Jesus doing this? And I love that Jesus' example here shows us that He is modelling a sense of living life so that people ask questions. People are intrigued. It doesn't really add up. It doesn't really make sense. And I wonder in our lives, if we are living in such a way where people are asking questions, they're intrigued. Oh, you're a Christian. Why are you hanging out with those people? Wait a minute, you guys have very different models, uh, morals sorry, and different models of living life. Why are you guys friends? You know, are our lives asking those kinds of questions? Are people intrigued? Do people even have visibility to see us doing this kind of stuff? And so Jesus is there with a whole bunch of, like I said, riffraff, like a, a, such a variety. And, and I think that what we need to take from this is that Jesus had grace for these people. It wasn't exclusive. It wasn't dismissive. It wasn't a sense of status. This is the Son of God. He was very deliberate. I don't think there was much that Jesus just did just cause. Very intentional. He wanted to use his time well. And so if he is choosing to extend grace and proximity and hospitality to all sorts of people, I think we see that there's a beautiful grace in him. He is not better than those around him. He doesn't put that sense of pride out there. It's a humility. We know that Jesus came to save and to seek out the lost. He came to serve. He came to love. He came to step in. He came to give grace. Finally, in verse 17, says this, On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I love that picture of it's, you know, the sick need a doctor. And I think that what that gives example to is that people who are in need recognise that and they ask for help. And I think Jesus here is saying, it's those who recognise their need for me, I will step straight in. Those who, who long for me to save them because they recognise they can't do it on their own. If they need a saviour, I am that saviour. If you are not able to forgive yourself, if you are not able to love yourself, if you're not able to change your behaviour, come and allow me into your life so that I can be the one who forgives you. I can be the one through my spirit who can change and transform you. You need the professional help of a saviour. And Jesus here is saying, I'm not here for the ones who have it all together. I'm not here for the ones who don't think that they need my help. I'm not here to give out cheap grace. I am here 
to be there for those who are in need of me. I love what we sang earlier. My God, my God, I need you. That sense of longing. That's where Jesus steps in and extends his grace. C.S. Lewis, uh, he says this when he's explaining grace. He says, God's love for us is undeserved grace. And when we receive and extend that grace to others, we are participating in the divine nature. When we not only receive that grace, but when we extend it, that is when we are partnering with the mission of God. That is when we recognise that we are doing God's work with Him. And I think some of the the problem that maybe we have is that we can get comfortable with receiving, but maybe it's not translating to extending. And when we see that Jesus had grace for so many different types of people, we should feel that conviction in our hearts start to uh, occur where we recognise that, wait a minute, maybe I haven't actually extended grace to other people. Maybe I've extended judgment. Maybe I've extended a sense of pride. Maybe I've extended a sense of just not understanding or being too busy. But Jesus here is saying, I have grace for these people. It's I am there for those who need. And I think we too need to model that, to also have that, ex, that extensive and expansive grace for others. And so there's a whole bunch of ways in which we can respond to this. And there's a, a bunch of things that just, as I was even preparing, I was thinking through. Um, God, well, with, with this example, with this dinner table set, What is it that you're wanting to show me? What is it that I can be learning from you? And my hope is that as we kind of spend the next few minutes together in response, we're able for the Holy Spirit to do that work in us. And maybe you're new to faith and maybe you're new to church environment and you have no idea what I'm talking about when I talk about grace or when I talk about the Holy Spirit. And I think that grace uh, is, is a gift of God. It's not deserved by us, but it's freely given to us. And it's a grace that we find in Jesus Christ when He uh, has come to earth and He said, let me show you a new way. You don't have to live like that. You don't have to live in that oppression. You don't have to live in that sense of going around and around and hoping something changes. The grace of Jesus is to bring you into a place of freedom and right relationship with God. The grace of Jesus is to say that you actually have a hope and you have a future it's not just what you are here and, and what work you have or what family. It's, it's actually, there's so much more. Christ through His grace wants to offer you eternity in heaven with Him, a place of peace, a place of love, a place of acceptance, a place at the table of Christ. And so this grace that I'm talking about and this, this work in the Holy Spirit, sometimes you might be sitting in an environment and you notice like, you might feel like, oh my gosh, like this is speaking exactly to me. Like, how did she know this is what I was going through? Or why is my heart a bit kind of faster? Or why are my hands a bit sweaty? And things like that can happen uh, when you're in the presence of God because the Holy Spirit is at work and He's saying, hey, this this is me, this is God. And today you might be here and you wanna respond to that. Maybe when I was saying, uh, Jesus saw people, 
Maybe today you feel seen by God because He does see you and He invites you. And He says, come to me. He says, come follow me. Come do life with me. Do all of life with me. And so today, if you're wanting to take that step towards Christ and you wanna receive Him in your heart and you would like to receive that grace and that love that I've been talking about, uh, maybe for the first time, it's just starting to click for you. If that's you today in the room or if you're watching online and uh, you're sensing that this is something that's going on in your heart as well, I would actually really love to pray with you. I'd love to start that journey where you discover our amazing God. So if that's anyone in the room or online, I believe your hosts can uh, interact with you and you can press the button to say that you're responding to Jesus. But if that's anyone here, would you like to just raise your hand? I'd love to pray with you. If you'd love to uh, receive the grace of God, if you'd love to start a relationship with Him, if that's anyone here, just wanna pop your hand up. I'd love to pray with you. It's not like a magical prayer. It's just something that we can do together to really kickstart this journey of faith and discovery. Anyone online, wherever you are in the world, is there anyone in the room? Just wait a minute longer. Amazing. Well, I believe that there's people out there, but my eyesight isn't always great. Um, but I believe that even if you're not popping your hands up, there might be some people in, in your heart uh, where you're ready to kind of make that decision. So we're going to pray and I'm going to say a few words and I'd love for you to repeat them after me. Everyone in the room, everyone online, I'd love for you to repeat them and, and just believe that God is meeting with people here. So if you close your eyes with me, dear Jesus, I respond to your invitation to follow you. Sorry for doing things in my way. I want to follow you now. Come into my heart and teach me a new way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we celebrate as people uh, commit their life to God and decide that they want to take that journey uh, with Jesus? It's the best decision that you could ever make. And the second part of our response today, I'd love for you to stay seated because um, I believe as I was just preparing that there's a sense of repentance and, um, and, a, and a sense of kind of confession that we can do before God. And this is something that is has been profound in all of kind of Christian history, this idea of, of confession. But I think that sometimes we have to redeem it. Uh, to recognise that it's actually a really beautiful uh, time that we get drawn in. And there's a, a psalm that says it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. And it's in, in light of who God is that we come before Him and we ask for His forgiveness. And the thing that I would love for us to just take a moment in our hearts to think through is the times that we have been too distracted and too busy and too preoccupied to notice people. And in particular, I think that we need to repent for not extending grace to others. And I think that we need to ask for forgiveness. And I think that we also wanna ask for opportunities. And if you're anything like me, um, this, these few verses, I think there's three of them, something like that. Um, they're hugely convicting 
because I want to desperately live more like Jesus. But sometimes when I read how He lived, it's quite different to how I live. And so I want to take a moment where we just get before God and we just say, Lord, I'm so sorry for the times that I've been way too distracted, way too busy, way too all steam ahead and no time for others. I'm so sorry for the times that I've seen people and my first thought has been judgment rather than grace towards them. I have an extended invitation. My table is filled with my friends and my family, not with, not with people who really need an invite and proximity to grace. I want to I apologise to the Lord for the times that my world has been too filled with Christians and I haven't had those who are seeking in proximity at my table, in my house, in the cafe, wherever it is. Those are the things that are on my heart that I wanna be apologising for. And remembering that it is not condemnation, it is not this, this oppression, it's not this consequence, but it's a time for us to turn uh, from those ways and ask the Holy Spirit to help us with that. So we're just gonna take a moment now, I'm gonna lead us in a prayer, then we're gonna have a few little moments of silence just for you to be able to do that in your heart with God and then we'll just sense where we head from there. So if you join me as we pray. Heavenly Father, I thank You that You are so full of kindness. You're slow to anger and You're rich in love, that Your grace abounds to us. Lord, and I thank You that this morning You see us and you invite us into proximity to you. Lord, I thank you for your grace. So undeserved. But Lord, I thank you for it. And God, I just want to lead us in a place of confession to say, Lord, this always hasn't been how we have lived. We have lived distracted. We have lived preoccupied. We have lived too busy to really see people. And Lord, we're sorry for the times that we have not extended that beautiful portal of heaven's welcome where people experience your grace. Please forgive us, God. I thank you for your forgiveness and your grace to us. And Lord, I want to apologise for the times that maybe we have drowned out your sense of uh, Holy Spirit promptings where we've been too fearful or uh, too time poor to actually engage in the invitations that your Spirit has prompted in us. Lord, and I ask that you will continue to give us opportunity to redeem that. Lord, help us to see people. Help us not to have fear around what that might look like. But to invite people into our lives, invite people to our tables, invite people to lunch. Lord, may people experience your love and your inclusion and your welcome through us. Thanks again for listening to the New Life Podcast. 
If that's not something within you or you would like prayer, you can head to church.nu forward slash prayer or contact us through our Instagram or Facebook page. We pray you have a great week. Be blessed.